One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that wields the mighty power of the song story and how music binds us to our pasts in order to get our guests talking about themselves in a way they probably wouldn't otherwise. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Jarrett Eady. Jarrett's a fourth-generation native of Fort Myers and an alumnus of Fort Myers High School. He entered the Garnet and Gold Halls of the Florida State University, where he majored in political science with minors in history, urban and regional planning, and black studies. While at FSU, he served as student body president, was a member of the Florida State University Board of Trustees, and a member of the Florida Board of Governors. Jarrett serves on various Southwest Florida boards, including as chairman of the City of Fort Myers Community Redevelopment Agency Advisory Board. He's on the Alliance for the Arts Board of Directors, WGCU's Content Committee, the Xi Omicron Lambda Chapter of Alpha Pi Alpha Fraternity. He's immediate past chair of the Lee County Black History Society Board of Directors and immediate past president of the National Panhellenic Council of Southwest Florida. Jarrett came to us thanks to episode 145 guest Siobhan Chester, but he was kind of on our radar already, so now it's time for his song stories. Hey there, Jared. How you doing? Hey, pretty good. How are you, Mike? I'm doing very well. So when was the last time you went to an escape room? <laughs> my, well, you know, actually, my escape room fascination, I just saw a video a couple of days ago where it's now an option virtually. So I watched this YouTube video of these people trying to escape a virtual process of an escape room with someone being your tour guide, and you give that person instructions. So I kind of virtually escaped with a group of people I've never seen before, but actually in person. Uh, there was an escape room in downtown Fort Myers, and my group of friends, we actually won. It was like an Al Capone bank kind of thing at the foot of the bridge, and it's the only time we actually won an escape room. So we were able to break into the bank and get the loot and get out. Is the virtual one with, like, 3D go- or, you know, virtual VR goggles, or is it just through a screen? It's a Zoom meeting. That's what, oh. that's what it felt like to me. So you, they're watching on the screen, and you have uh, your friends with you. And you're watching, and the person who is actually in the physical escape room, uh, you tell that person, okay, lift up that jar, what's on the other side of it. So you should feel right at home here in our escape room. Well, that's what I felt like when I came in. I'm like, okay, so where's this? Is this bolted down to the, the table? Can I Look move this? For clues Look for throughout some clues. the interview. Hey, Mike, can you give me an additional hour here? Uh, so yes, yes, we can. Um, um, you know, we do have a big red button here we by do. the board, like you know, the, like the panic button in escape right. room if you need to leave. It like, says don't panic on it. Don't panic. That needs to be on a shirt. That, Please don't. <laughs> okay, so uh, you're fourth generation Fort Myers. I am. Uh, what was the musical background of your childhood, you know, here in Fort Myers, so in the my, Dunbar community? It's correct. My musical background, of course, centered on religious music and Christian uh, music. My mother was a music teacher for 35 years in the school district of where, Lee County. Where at? She started, a funny story, she started at Franklin Park Middle School before it was Franklin Park Elementary School back in the 90s or 80s, used to say. She started there in 1970. So it was right after the community had started integrating schools in 1969. She came here being a product of Dunbar High School, and she went back to Franklin Park where she attended elementary school, but then as the music teacher in 1970. From there, I want to call it like an itinerant music service. She was all across the district moving around a couple of days here, a couple of days there, but her primary location was Michigan Elementary School and also Franklin Park for a little bit. So she retired from Michigan in 2004, 
So you you were you were raised in a musical family then if your mom's a music teacher, I presume. Very much. Everyone sings. I was the kid in the choir, uh, but not always the feature soloist, if you will. But music was a very major part of growing up here in Fort Myers and also Friendship Baptist Church and, and the religious tradition that is very important to my family. That was the music of my childhood. With a little Motown mixed in between. Did you have brothers or do you have brothers and sisters? I do. Uh, actually, my mother I referenced and referred to, she's my aunt. So I was not reared by my biological oh. parents. So between my birth mother and my father, I do have other siblings. But in the household of my primary growing up with my aunt, I was the only child in the household. All right. For so, good or for bad. It was just me in there. Uh, so what was the first music that you associated with, you know, besides, you know, church music, stuff like that? I would say um, because my mother, Rose, was a child of the 60s, her music where she felt it was okay for me to still hear it in the household would probably be a lot of Motown. So those connections with the Motown sound, there are still records in the house from the Supremes, the Four Tops, the Temptations. So if anything outside of what was considered to be religious and sacred, that was something that was permissible growing up until I was able to develop my own taste in music and probably sneak and listen to things on the radio like uh, B103.9 that I wasn't supposed to be listening to. About how old would you have been when that started to creep in, and did you have to hide it? I, well, you know... Here's I don't know, what, maybe hide's a hard word. Right. Here's <laughs> what... it was. There was never a lot of pressure to say that music is not allowed, but I would say the first time where I requested a CD that was outside of something that was religious or gospel was probably the score, Fuji's the score. Mm. And what made it okay at the time, Lauren Hill, when she started with Killing Me Softly, my mother Rose knew that from Roberta Flack. Mm. So because she was able to make that connection, didn't realize there was probably a parental advisory sticker on the side of it. (laughs) But for a gift, I don't know if it was birthday or Christmas, I was able to get Fuji's the score. And probably before that was Boys to Men 2. You know, yeah. The Motown Philly was permissible, so I was able to do that. Actually, in Philadelphia, we went to Philadelphia for a family funeral. I'd forgotten about that. And we were in the mall, and it was a big display about boys to men. But because they looked wholesome on the picture, uh, I guess they felt it wasn't too far outside of the religious or, or sacred music. So I was able to purchase that. Little did they know. Right. Well, you know, they were okay. The things <laughs> yeah, well, were probably way too much for yeah. a seventh grader, uh, a lot of the songs. But that was that was a real major part of Early, you know, adolescence, if you will. Do you have any musical memories associated with your grandparents? Um, I would say for, yeah, for my grandmother, actually. And it was at um, it was at the passing of her brother, my uncle, because everyone in the family sings. They came together, and it was my grandmother and two of my aunts, one including my Aunt Rose, who did rear me, and then my, my Aunt Lily, I think they sang Farther Along, an old gospel song. And I remember them practicing. I was probably a junior in high school, maybe a sophomore. But that's the one memory I'd never hear. I never heard my grandmother sing before. So to hear her sing as a part of this trio with her sisters, I, I really hadn't thought about that until you asked me that question, Mike. That's what we do hey, here. Hey, well, you know, score. <laughs> um, score. There we go. Um, so you were raised by a music teacher. Were you playing musical instruments? Did she have a piano in the house or something? She did have a piano in the house. And so this is the controversy that still exists in 2021. Wow. She attempted to teach me and... She taught me the scales, but her issue with me, she said, I wanted to play like her overnight. Mm. 
So she didn't have the patience, or I didn't have the patience. I was going to say, it was you. <laughs> so I, it probably was a personality thing. So we, I remember it was the, um, the book is still at the house now. It was a purple piano kind of primer kind of thing where you very, really start out with the scales, a basic you know, understanding, moving up and down the scales. I would start that process, but I wanted to go to church on Sunday and play with both hands. That was the controversy. I want to play with both hands. I don't want to do the dun 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 so I started with that, and to keep me quiet, she would take music of which I found interest, and because I knew the scales and knew some of the chords, she would uh, transcribe it all down for me and say, okay, for this song, it's a G chord, a C chord. She'd give it to me and then let me figure out how to play it without actually having to read the music. Hmm. It's so like the tabs, they'd call it for guitars, right? Yeah. Just, you don't really know the music. Yeah. You just know which chords to play, kind of Which, which chords to play. Um, you mentioned before we started that you were a band kid. So you weren't playing piano one-handed in the band. What were you playing in the okay. band? I was playing the baritone. Uh, I played the baritone at Dunbar Middle School. And we started off in just basic your entry sixth grade band. And we thought we were so important because we were seventh graders that actually made it to the ultimate symphonic band. <laughs> and so those competitions in band to decide who was going to be the first chair. I was probably the first chair in symphonic band for maybe the first semester of seventh grade. But um, we would go back and forth because there were only two baritone players in the band at the time. I think the kid's name was Josh, if I'm not mistaken. So we just had this agreement that, OK, you get to be it for the second, third quarter, and then we'll try again next year. But there was a sixth grader who took our spot. She moved up to seventh grade. We were the eighth graders, and she unseated both of us. Because she grade. had better baritone chops. She, probably, she had a <laughs> lot better baritone chops than I did. <laughs> what about high school? Did you keep on with I that? I didn't. I no. stopped in eighth grade. Okay. Uh, do you remember the first song that you slow danced to? Um, Boys to men. That probably <laughs> what it was. But at the end of those those dances, end of the road had to play somewhere yep. in there. So it oh, probably was end of the, the road. Arms. Right. The spacing out. I love it. <laughs> the shuffle, if you will. Yeah. It, it, what grade would that have been about? Uh, gauge, you know. I would say probably eighth grade. I remember our eighth grade prom. So at the time in the city of Fort Myers, I think it was Southwest Regional Hospital. is no longer around, but they had a community resource building. And somehow they were a sponsor or a supporter of the middle school. And that's where our, our eighth grade prom was. Was it like after school or was it at night? It was after school. Okay. Yeah. I was old enough that my eighth grade prom was at night. We're starting to hone in on there was a dividing line at which point middle school dances became like, not okay. For, maybe here, not for me. I like, I'm younger than I think both of you, and I've never had a daytime dance. Okay. Well, That's maybe weird it's weird to me. Yeah, I don't Friday. But it like if it's an incentive, like, okay, you did really well today, and then for those who receive a positive behavioral support, at the end of the period of the day, you get to go to the gym for a modified dance. That sounds, well, maybe that's my teacher brain. Maybe that's yeah. something we do with our students. Lucky. We had to pay five bucks. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, it's time for your first song. Okay. Uh, what is it? Uh, my first song is Think Big, and Think Big by the Soul Children of Chicago. Do you want to talk about it? Do you want to listen to it? Yeah. So we can we can lead up to the story of why this one is important. And it goes back to one of your questions earlier about music in the household. So I feel like I'm going to do a Sophia Petrillo kind of thing. Um, picture it. Fort Myers in the late 1990s or probably late 1980s, early 90s. My mother, Rose, who I mentioned earlier, and my aunt, 
they had this singing group. And so the group uh, it's called the Victory Singers. So they were always rehearsing at the house, and I was always the kid listening to the rehearsal, always the kid who felt like I was really a part of the group. So there was this big concert. I think it was in Clewiston, and I've been trying to debate in my mind if it was in Fort Myers or Clewiston. Long story short, <laughs> at the end of the concert— I know where it would have been in Clewiston. There's only really? one place for things where like— the, Let me see. Chester it's, Clewiston. It's, uh, uh, I was just out there for—I'll um, look it up. Keep talking. Okay. No, it's, it was, it's, like, a, it's like the— Community center. Like a civic center. Exactly. The Harlem Civic Center. Yeah. And at the end of it, my aunt purchased bracelets for all of the folks who participated in the concert and the crew and everyone, the musicians, they got these great bracelets and they were engraved with their names on them. And at the end of it, they thanked everyone for their service and thank you for making the concert and, the you know, be successful. There's me sitting in the background and I'm trying to go back to what my mind process was then. I can feel myself being angry and being disappointed while they were passing out these bracelets. In my mind, I felt like I'm a part of the team here. I'm at every rehearsal. I know all of the music just like everyone else. I might have been maybe five or six years old. How do you overlook me and I don't get a bracelet? So I did not get the bracelet along with everyone else. So in the car ride back to wherever we were coming from, either Clewiston or in Fort Myers, all I can remember seeing is everybody has this bracelet but me. But if I'm in the car with you, that means I'm a part of the team. How do you overlook me? So I probably didn't let it go as, you know, that's just what we do. I was a baby Scorpio in the making. We don't tend to let things go. And so as a resolution for it, my aunt did purchase a bracelet much later. And she had my name engraved in it. And it's something that I still have. And it was matching what everyone else received. Well, Rose, my aunt, who who was my mother, who reared me, she had a concert coming up. And so she decided as an additional way to make sure I was a part of the choir. They used to have these massive concerts. The, the group was New Life Christian Center, their sanctuary choir. So they decided that I would be the lead on one of the songs. Now, this was an adult choir, not a children's mm-hmm. choir, but an adult choir. There I am as the lead. Now, what sticks out for me I had on these white tails tuxedo tails now, and I'm maybe (laughs) under 10 for sure. Um, This turquoise looking bow tie and cummerbund, and I'm standing, I can see the picture now, standing in front leading this choir. But the issue with that is that um, at the end of it, I probably felt myself a little too important because I can remember just walking around in those tails and feeling them flap in the background. So the song Think Big was the song. Now, it gets really interesting now for me, listening to the words. And I hadn't thought about that song probably since that concert in the 1990s, maybe 89, 90, somewhere in there. But the words of it, I can tell they were very intentional in selecting that song for me to sing because it pulled together the potential that lies in the hearts of kids and the expectations that families have on the young people that are coming up. So that song really connected to me. Then, because I got to be in the spotlight, and then now as an adult, saying thank you, and you all thought that much of me. Um, were you nervous? <clears throat> it's hard to say. So, well, this isn't connected to our story, but maybe I didn't get that bracelet, as I'm sure if, if um, my dear family hears this. In the end of it, I forgot. <laughs> my aunt asked me to present some flowers to some of the, the individuals who were at the concert to thank them for their service. So me and these same, whatever I was dressed up in the concert, in Clueston, mind you, 
And I probably was a little annoyed that I had to do it at that moment. And um, we have this on video, actually. Uh, so we'll take my aunt that said, for Jer- Facebook. right, oh my yes, God, that's, yes. right. This is the part of the escape process, right? <laughs> so my aunt said, okay, Jarrett just loves this individual so much. And he was so excited to present these flowers to you. Uh, so Jarrett, come on up and thank such and such for, you know, what they've done and their support here and helping us host this concert. And little me took the microphone and said, don't believe anything she says. <laughs> and I walked away. So... Um, yeah. Did you have the bracelet on? I didn't. That you probably led up yet? to it. I was still upset. So did this was a bracelet flowers? concert. That's probably. I did give the flowers and I said, don't believe anything she said. So fast forward to the actual concert where I got to sing. I might have been a little ham as a kid. So I was probably okay in that element. Probably nervous, uh, but I'm sure I, I rose to the occasion. And that's on video too. I haven't seen that video. Oh, I of the actual song, an adorable I genuinely would quarters. like for you to find those videos. We'll, yeah. we'll rip a little bit of it. <laughs> I'm sure. Use it uh, as adjacent content. <laughs> um, okay, let's listen to it. This is Think Big by Walt Whitman and the Soul Children of Chicago from their 1999 album. Well, that can't be right. 1999. This must be a, the it's version. It's a compilation, right? This is the version right. that we're playing. Okay. Uh, Generation X Celebration was that album. You hear it, you can tell it's definitely a song. Were you wailing like that? I, I can't remember if I sang both parts of it. So when I say it definitely was a song of the 80s, gospel music, I would like to say in the 1980s, but peak time for the choir. So you have songs that are built for the choir to be showcased and songs for a soloist to be showcased and then songs for it to be a complimentary of both. So in the 80s, there were lots of mass choirs and citywide choirs that developed. So the, the soul children were definitely a part of it. The Florida Mass Choir was another part of those movements in the 1980s and probably the latter part of the 70s. I did the best I could, but I can just hear me prepubescent me trying to hit some of those notes and kind of go through that. I don't know if I probably sang both parts or they formatted it, but I can see me in those um, those tales. You can tell that was definitely that's probably on video, too, then, right? The whole thing. Well, we can find out how well you did. Um, how robust was the choir around you compared to what we were just listening to? They were very good. So yeah. the New Life Christian Center Choir, they were very good. And I think that was something that really connected me to the choir and feeling like I was a part of it. Because to me as a kid, it sounded like what I heard on the track when they gave me the cassette tape to listen to it and learn it. The folks behind me seemed like they were doing their part. So it was my part to try to match them. But they were a very good choir. Um, of course, traditional gospel music, but having Rose as a director and her being a music major. So she made sure that from a sound standpoint, that the harmonies were always in order and their precision was together. So they did these big concerts every year around the springtime. This was the spring concert, probably after Easter, I want to say, considering the white. I think that was the rule then after Easter, you can put the white back on. I think that's not really a rule anymore. Well, you know, it wasn't. Maybe, maybe in know. some circles. Um, so you mentioned that you think they picked that song because sort of the nature of the words and the mm-hmm. message in that song. One of the uh, one of the questions we asked at the end of the show often is, what would your 14-year-old self think of who you are today? I'm going to rephrase that slightly and say, what would your 9- or 10-year-old self who was singing that song think of who you are today? Through the lens of what that song right. is trying to, you know, instill. I think the concept of potential and confidence making for success and how we define success is a shifting concept. So what looks like success to me 
and you might be completely different things. But for me, looking at it and hearing those words, and I did a lot of deep thinking about it when I heard those words. And, you know, and in full disclosure, there were three aunts who were very instrumental in my upbringing. And we lost one at the end of October of 2020. So in the midst of selecting those songs and through the vantage point of to know people who loved you so much to feel like they saw this potential in you and everything they did from that moment really was an opportunity to prepare you for whatever level of greatness they saw in you and ultimately the greatness that you were able to see for yourself. So to know that although that song was a musical expression of it, I know that those thoughts reside in the hearts of the people who are responsible for who I am here at 39. So, um, you know, that's been the, the major standpoint of just think big and think big could be, OK, I'm going in this escape room and we're going to try to get out of here. Or, <laughs> we're going to let you right, <laughs> No, we're talking about the one downtown. <laughs> um, or whatever organization or standpoint from that perspective that my life went down those paths here locally and also as a student. Think big and, you know, potential and confidence and, you know, believe in yourself. So I think that that's something that. Myself then, maybe nine or 10 year old me, maybe understood, but to be 39, hearing those words and say, wow, they were, they were specific. They could have done this little light of mine mm-hmm. to say that, but this was the song that was selected. Um, so that, that really meant something to me. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Like, what was your, you know, like, I'm going to be a third baseman for the Kansas City Royals or whatever. I wanted to be an attorney. <laughs> Yeah. That's what I wanted to be, by the way. Yeah. Really? Um, I wanted to be an attorney. That was always, uh, oh, yeah? it's all those little things. Who do you want to be when you grow up? That was always it. And I think, but in high school, I, um, let's see, high school went toward political science, which I did ultimately major in, and then also psychology. I've always liked the thought of having conversations with people and kind of navigating through processes of life. So that was me. But young me, when he was thinking big and singing, he wanted to be an attorney. And a, sing, a singing attorney. And he was sing, a singing attorney. <laughs> <laughs> and tuxedo tails and, and, and turquoise cummerbunds and bow ties. You get a whole TV show out of that. So, um, so you went to Fort Myers High? I did. Um, do you have any musical memories you know, stemming from those times? Fort Myers High School. Oh, gosh. So... The concept of music, I can think of, though it might not have been... Some of the music I might have been personally listening to, but two things that really stand out. And this might have been the end of high school or in the middle school moving toward high school. Uh, the death of Kurt Cobain. I remember how that affected a lot of my classmates. And then in the midst of um, Tupac and Biggie, like all those things were happening, I want to say around that same time frame. So latter part of, of middle school, but definitely part of high school. Our high school experience started the whole Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, New Edition, Destiny's Child, all that was major part. So if you're listening to the radio, that was a major part of what was happening. And that's what we were listening to here. I think 105.5 might have been something that came a little bit later, but definitely B103.9 was more of the contemporary kids for those of us who were here. Uh, And um, see, I started high school in 96, so 96 through 2000. Uh, do you remember what your senior prom's theme was? Oh, good Lord. Uh, let's see. <laughs> no, let me think. So our senior prom is kind of fuzzy for me. I was a class officer uh-huh. for the duration of it. So we planned the prom for the seniors. 
it feels like the class of 99's theme really resonates with me. I think theirs was an island sunset. It was this Hawaiian tropical theme. I just remember the big controversy over do we have totem poles or not. (laughs) Even then, I knew that was not the right thing to do. But here's why prom is important, because I was prom king. So I probably you were prom. Should, I was, I I was definitely well, prom you were king. so busy. Did you have tails? Were you wearing? <laughs> <a king? laughs> I didn't. You uh, were so busy being the king. You didn't, didn't have to pay attention. I didn't. I didn't. But there's a tribute to the green because of Fort Myers High School. I remember the the felt top of the the crown that my mother still has in some plastic or sure somewhere in oh, the house. Gosh. But I think it might have been something like an affair to remember. I don't remember. I just remember the invitation was foil. A silver, silver, silver foil, and it might have been like a turquoise, greenish kind of writing on it. I still have it somewhere, but that was the invitation. But I definitely remember being prom king. Did you uh, did you lobby to be king, or did were not. you just sus? okay? You know, I, I there are very few things in life that have shocked me in a way of from personal experiences a good shock. I was just honored to be a part of the court. I was on homecoming court senior year and then also prom court. I had no expectation to ever being named the prom king. I just remember standing at Harborside and they were announcing. And I probably said me because of my cousin, my cousin Roderick. We were a high school classmates, same last name. So I don't know if I just heard the last name. I just assumed, you know, he was a star running back, if I'm not mistaken, uh, for since freshman year. Just assumed he was the prom king, had no idea that, you know, it's the other Edie. So there's this great picture of me being so shocked, walking up to receive whatever vestments came with with being the prom king. So I graduated from Fort Myers High about a decade before you. And I have this odd little story where the year after I graduated, so I'm not in high school anymore, one of my sister's best friends, who I was friends with, had nobody to go to, I don't know if it was prom or homecoming, it was one of the two. And I just kind of offhandedly said about a month before, well, I'll take you if nobody asks you. And then like a week before, she's like, are you serious? Will you take me? And I was like, okay. And then she got named queen. Uh. So I like went to homecoming or prom, whichever it was, with the queen, who was my sister's friend. Was it at Harborside, Mike? uh, Surely. Because I want to say shout out to Harborside for having probably all of our proms, right? Because I know my Mariner prom was there for sure. Oh, you're a Triton. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Class of 07 over here. Okay. <laughs> Class of 2000. We're 20 years, almost 21 years out of it. So do you remember, though, maybe not, the song that you sang or sang that you danced with? Because the King and Queen usually have that dance. Do you remember maybe what a shot in the dark could have been? Uh, I don't. No. I think our queen was... Uh, can I say your name if I remember? Of course. I think it was Andrea Adams. All hail Sorry, the queen. class of 2000, if you're all listening, <laughs> but I believe that's who our queen was. I don't think it was Noelle Anderson. I believe she was our homecoming queen. But uh, yeah, I don't remember the song. We, but it, it probably was one of those Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, you know, one of those kind of bills, songs. Bills, Bills, Bills by Desmond Child. Before we're survivors. Um, we, we had a dance called Twerp, where the yeah, girl the asks woman, the guy, yeah, and then you Sadie wear the matching outfits. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Hall of 50 States is where I went to oh, Twerp. Okay. It was still operational back then. Uh, I remember that. In fact, when I talked about my mother, Rose, she had a concert there. Oh, wow. At the Hall of 50 States and the Exhibition Hall. I remember those things in downtown Fort Myers. So, yeah, okay. If there's anybody super rich out there listening, there's a building in downtown Fort Myers yeah. that really deserves to be saved. It does. Okay, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, that, that, used to be, that used to be my sword, sword school dojo. See? Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. There's a lot of history at, there. At, the, at yeah. the end of its life, there was a period there where we rented it once a week. Wow. Okay. It's great. Shout out to the River District. Excellent. Absolutely. Okay. Was FSU always where you were going to go? No. Uh, initially, as a younger person, probably 10-year-old me, and for sure, middle school, high school me, my goal was to go to Morehouse College in Atlanta. was accepted at Morehouse. I think what made the difference for me deciding between Florida State and Morehouse, I can't remember the post number, but the American Legion sponsors something called Boys State every year. Mm-hmm where they select young men, and on the other end of it, girls' state, they select young people to go to the state's capital for, I think it was about a week, to understand the craft and science of writing bills and passing bills and legislation, forming your own government. You know, we were a city, then a city was located in the county, and then all of us came together as the county folks to be the state. And on the other end, there's um, the national approach of it, I believe. Former President Clinton was part of Boys Nation, all those kind of things that you have there. I was on Florida State's campus for about, I want to say close to a week between junior and senior year. So mommy being on campus and, you know, going to the food court, understanding how to navigate around the campus, I felt a level of comfortability with it, but I still was in love with the thought of going to Morehouse College, you know, the alma mater of Dr. King and all mm-hmm. those great things connected to the African-American historical um, lineage and story. But I also had this draw to Florida State. Well, at the end of it, you know, being a recipient of the Bright Future Scholarship, it was more cost efficient at the moment to attend Florida State. And please don't tell us any of my Seminole classmates and colleagues, but for the first part of my year at Florida State, I always kept my Morehouse certificate because you got this official certificate that you've been accepted. I kept it there, but um, kept it with me in my uh, freshman year residence hall. But yeah, it was between Morehouse and Florida State, but me staying at Florida State during the, the experience with Boys State definitely made a difference because I felt like I understood, you know, how to navigate at least from the part of campus that, that we were in that year. I think it was Smith Hall hmm. where they had us lodged. And if you know Florida State, those are the larger mm-hmm. um, parts of campus. They've torn those down now, but that definitely is where we were. Any musical? Did you see any great bands? Did you, you know, any songs that will remind you of like maybe your freshman year, things like that? You know, there are several that that talk about freshman year. One of the songs that you know I shared that reminds me of our freshman year experience. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So serendipitous. Yeah, my, yeah, you're right on point here. <laughs> but my second song is def- definitely something that connects me back to. Well, let's start my first year. Let's start working toward that then. Okay, so let's move toward that. Uh, before school started, so Florida State and through our Black Student Union had what they call back to school week. So back to school week started prior to the year even, you know, getting kicked off. Parents were bringing you, you were sitting around, and the Black Student Union and a lot of organizations on campus sponsored various events for you to take part in before the year actually started. So I was very fortunate. The first event I attended, and it's funny, I can't remember the rest of them, but I can definitely remember this one. It was Meet the Senate Night, and it was an introduction to student government. So, of course, you always... If you cultivate a move toward things that of which you find interest, you always find people who have that same level of interest. So there are us kids in there who might have been interested in involvement or student government. We established a very strong friend network. So from that, by the first day of school, the upperclassmen would say, okay, don't get used to this because all the people you see here, because the campus is so large, you have to be intentional in making these connections and cultivating that. First day of school, you might not see anyone that you know because your classroom might be on the other side of campus and you'd have those 
uh, those connections. So we were able to establish that friendship. And it just so happened that a lot of us had class breaks between the hours of 3.30 to 5. And if you're familiar, for those who might be listening, Florida State University, of course, at Oglesby Student Union is going through a renovation. So I'm still understanding. But at the time, there was a union food court. So in between, you had to walk through the union pretty much to get to the other side of campus. I lived in Coffin Hall. A lot of our friends lived on the other side of campus, Smith and Kellum. But you had to walk across, you know, that was kind of like a major thoroughfare. And a lot of us would stop into the student union for lunch. And I'll never forget, we had um, Chick-fil-A, Burger King, Pizza Hut. So we nicknamed it Chick Burger Hut. So (laughs) we would stop the Chick Burger Hut between 3.30 to 5 to watch what was on television at that time. MTV, they were still doing like true music countdowns. As we talk about the wonderful music of the late 90s, early 2000s, but we were doing countdowns. BET also had a countdown show. So 106 in Park starts in that. There was a show called Cedar's World. We would just sit and watch those things that were coming on television. And then on Wednesday, Market Wednesday. So every Market Wednesday, there would be lots of step shows and presentations and things in the center part of the Union Courtyard. We would sit and listen and just kind of see the activities, maybe purchase a few things that might be in the marketplace. The organizations would have informational tables. It was just a real great atmosphere. So it's to see that environment whenever I think of people standing around and, and that real sense of hope and optimism. You know, we're coming from wherever we are. We've made these connections with friends. We might have been kids in school who felt like that we didn't. You know, have other kids who like the things that we like, but now to have these group of kids where everybody's kind of like me. Mm -hmm. So to have those friend connections and being in the union and listening to music and then watching the step shows and, um, you know, strolling and all that stuff that happened in the union was definitely a part of my freshman experience because it was very different from my exposure here in Fort Myers. You know, those weren't things that were commonplace Mm -hmm. to have that and kids in our age group. So. So that's the song. So I think of that. I think of Outkast. So fresh, so clean. That's definitely one. And there are a few others, but that one definitely always resonates me when I hear it. I you hear it, think. you think about being think back about there. Florida State at the, University. At the, at the I can Burger, smell Chick, the Chick Burger Hut. Chick Burger Hut. Chick Burger Hut. <laughs> Chick Burger Hut. Um, well, let's listen to it then. Um, gotta get my glasses. Uh, uh, this is uh, so fresh, so clean, and it's the radio mix. It is. So fresh, you so clean, you uh, you pointed that part out. I did. Uh, from, I did. from their 2000 album Stankonia. Yes, that was cute, Mike. I can smell the chick burger hut. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a specific smell, smell right? You can smell it uh, because it was such an interesting wafting of aroma. Because you would have. The Chick-fil-A and the fries, but then you'd have the Burger King and the hamburgers. And then on the other end of it, Chick-fil-A also had these breadsticks that everybody seemed to enjoy with the marinara sauce. So I can just see all of us sitting around um, in Chick Burger Hut about, okay, what are we going to do? Especially on a Friday. Uh, Shout outs to my two good friends, Cordy and Mike. So we would definitely sit around. What are we going to do? And we were the wholesome kind of kids. So it wasn't like we were out doing that partying, especially not freshman year. We just roam around campus on a Friday night. There was a Denny's directly across Tennessee Street. We'd be at Denny's until three o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and then meander from one end of campus to the other. You know, Mike and I lived on one side and our friend Cordy lived on the other side. So we would just walk back and forth and roam around. And that was a Friday for uh, these three guys who were freshmen navigating the new world that was our home at Florida State. You keep up with them? So it was fun. Yeah, we had a, a great text conversation about this because, hey, guys, I'm, I'm doing this thing. So if you all were to give a list of songs that really 
defined memories for you in college. Now, on the other end of it, there are some other songs that probably might not have been the most <laughs> appropriate. So we definitely kind of looked in something. We can't, you know, I don't remember that one that way. So, uh, but yeah, we, we, we stay in touch and we're, we're really 20 years out. So this is our 20 year mm-hmm. of, of being in contact and connection with each other and the rest of our friends as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm extremely proud of all of them. It's funny that you mentioned the texting to ask about songs that reminded, mm-hmm. you know, because um, the so- story, I have a little story that goes with this song. And it's one of my best friends since childhood, a guy named Milton Evans. We'll okay. call Milty. him Milty. Okay. And he was coming on the show. And so I texted all of our other friends and was just like, what songs will always remind you of Milty? Okay. And so they gave me some songs. And but this song in the late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, probably early 2000s, he had a really cool apartment on Wilna Street right there on McGregor, like the okay. little the little pink ones right next to Publix. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. He had an apartment, and he had this fun roommate uh, named Murray, and they had, like, they were both thrift stores. Okay. So every square inch of this apartment was covered, covered by something, something right. kitschy, just because they were, you know, being weird. And, I mean, there was like a, there was a painting on the wall that was made of animal skin, Huh. And it was like a guy hunting. It was just stuff like that. Anyway, so when he, when they moved out, when they weren't going to be roommates anymore. The painting itself was made out of animal skin yes. as a canvas? It was like st- stitched together. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was gross. <laughs> um, but but Milty had me go and just meticulously walk around with my high eight camcorder and just film the apartment. And then he had him had me put it to this music. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. So, so somehow it was an inside joke between them. Right. And so then I dubbed it onto a VHS tape, and he gave that to Murray as a going away present. Uh, so when I first pulled so this up, when, as soon as when you pulled it up, I was like, oh. Melty's apartment. Right. So we'll start out over. We'll do our one, two, three. We're going to share this portion of the broadcast for that song. Oh, okay. I just had to throw that out there. Um, real quick, back to Florida State. Mm-hmm. You were student body president. I was. Like, what year was that? 2004, 2005. Is that, so is that your senior year, junior year? It was my senior year. In between senior year and a portion of graduate school, doing some post-secondary studies and public policy, actually. Is that something you were you in student government the whole way through? Yes. So those same group of friends that I mentioned, the Chick Burger Hut crew, um, we all, because we made shirts. that connection. Right. Well, we probably would have had shirts if we could have. We made that connection at the early start of our first year. And all of us ended up in some way, shape or form having a significant part of the student government experience as undergraduate students uh, our four years there. So um one of my friends was student body vice president. Uh, I was our Senate president also. Our friend Mike came in Senate president after I did. All of us were in the student Senate. We had another friend who was our senior class president. So we were all definitely eventually became a part of the student Senate at Florida State and then kind of went down different paths and directions. Friend who was president of the Black Student Union, chaired some committees. So we definitely were very involved, that initial group of us who came in in the fall of 2000. Did your uh, when you were student body president were there any scandals in your in your presidency? Well, it wasn't a scandal then, but it probably had the potential to be a scandal. In the midst of it, Facebook became a thing. Oh, right. So uh, let's say the end of probably around the um, spring of two thousand five or the latter part of two thousand four. That's when you had to have a .edu account yeah, to sign up. College students yeah, for to college keep in students. Touch so, and, yeah, Florida State. We were in one of the initial rollouts of it, and 
I wasn't really, you know, sure what is this thing. And I remember our student body vice president at the time, Chris Schoonover. Uh, Chris came and said, hey, this thing called Facebook. Do you have an account? And so he kind of walked me through what the account was. And so I always saw it as six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Uh-huh. I know you and Mike knows this person. And, my, and that's how I get to know you. And I forget who it was. It might have been the Tallahassee Democrat. They asked me for a quote as to how I saw the integration of Facebook having an effect on a college campus. And I think USA, USA Today picked the story up. But it was something very new. You know, we were still putting things on like a message board. A live thing. journal. Right. Live that's journal. exactly where we were. We hadn't gotten to Blogspot. So we were, we were moving <laughs> toward that. But to have everything documented the way college kids now have and kids just in general on social media. So I said it had the potential to move toward that. But back then, you only had your, your profile page and some basic information. You weren't uploading lots of albums. So that probably was the closest thing um, to what had the potential to be a scandal for us in college. But you, know, you had the, the basic things that happened. I was a member of the Board of Trustees, so there were a couple of things. You know, we were fighting against block tuition, um, affordability, intuition. So those were some of the major things. Uh, our administration at the time were instrumental in kind of setting the plans for um, campus recreation space and moving things out. The IM fields, I remember that was a big thing. What are we going to do about the IM fields and leadership centers and all those things? Um, so, Do you remember the first time you had your own portable musical device? Uh, yes. And what, and what sort of model would it have been? It would have been, and this was high tech here, it probably was something that was a shock-proof um, CD, disc man, yeah, disc, disc man, man. Yeah. oh yeah, anti skip, you know, right? There you go. That's it. I remember being Base on boost. the bus and bass boost. Through those skip. little tiny right. pad headphones. Why did they have the button skip? It, it was I like anti skip on just or made off. A, it's like just leave it. Like, just leave it. Why would you turn it off? Because it burned through the battery faster. Oh, so and I'll go ahead and tell you what we were listening to. I got it for Christmas that year. And here it goes back to the band here. We were going to probably Bush Gardens. And for the end of the year trip, we were allowed to go to Bush Gardens. And this is going to date us and tell us what we're listening to in the 90s. So I've always tried to be eclectic and listening to all sorts of things. It was Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. Hootie. Yes. So let her cry. I remember listening to Hootie and the Blowfish with my new device. And this was something <laughs> I called my own, not... Uh, a Walkman that I borrowed that my mother had given me, like something that was definitely mine. And, of course, that anti-shock device was high technology. So that was definitely my first real recollection of this device being mine. Um, uh, uh, how do you listen to music today? Um, my phone, you know, Bluetooth around. I don't do a lot of radio listening, NPR. Um, I do some of that in the morning. But now it's basically when... My playlist, if my mood strikes and I want to hear something specific, you know, I'm a creature of habit in a lot of ways. So there are a couple of things I'll go to and listen based on what, what I'm trying to get insp inspirational or whatever the mood is for the moment. So that's pretty much on the phone. Yeah. Do you Spotify on the phone? I do. And then I've been able to I pay for Apple Music. So I kind of create my own stations based on something that sounds really good at the moment. Uh, speaking of, or can you give an example of something that you might return to for different reasons? Okay, um, a good one would be, you know, we all need a boost to figure out what we feel we're doing is going in the right direction. I would say in those moments where I really want to feel 
I'm doing it the way I think I want to do it and how it should be done, I'll go to Frank Sinatra mm. in my way. I think that's one of the best declarations of here's who I am and here's what I stand for. If I'm in a, an opportunity for reflection, the musical composition of individuals from the gospel um, genre, people like Richard Smallwood, who I think are amazing with composition and the music attached to it. So Total Praise, I think that's just one of my favorite songs, definitely. I enjoy people um, who are a part, not necessarily connected to the neo-soul movement, but definitely have elements of, of Sam Cooke and others from a previous mm. generation. Um, people like Anthony Hamilton, yeah. probably one of my favorites. Charlene was my all-time favorite song as an undergraduate. Mm. So I kind of go to those and, and see what's going on. And hopefully the playlist will recommend someone in a similar vein. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I can pick up someone else to add to it. Considering, yep. your, sorry, considering your um, the era that you were kind of growing up in and mm-hmm. listening to music, uh, and what you just said, uh, did you Kirk Franklin? Of course. Okay. Come on now. <laughs> I mean, let's not talk about some other concerts. That'll be an additional memory. Uh, Kirk Franklin and Stomp, and yep. there was another solo somewhere up in there. As a teenager, I can't remember the exact song. I just remember it was off of Kirk Franklin. Um, I don't think it was New Nation, maybe one right before that. But we sang a lot of Kirk Franklin, Melodies from Heaven. That was definitely a major part. You've seen a lot of concerts? I haven't. Not as many. Let's see. The first concert I attended was actually Diana Ross. Wow. She kicked off her world tour. She kicked off her world tour here in Fort Myers. At the Lee Civic Center? It was at Harborside. At Harborside. Another Harborside plug there. Well, now the Calusa Sound, as we're calling it. Um, But at that moment, because of Rose, who I mentioned before, my mother who had that connection with music, they were looking for a choir to bring together from local youth or adults, whoever. So Diana, Miss Ross, wanted to have a connection with local talent. So there I was again. It's like the Forrest Gump of music here. I'm, I'm Forrest Gump in the background <laughs> singing. Cool. But we sang backup for Di- Diana Ross for two songs. Holy cow. We what did. Songs? So that was my first concert. Um, I believe it might have been the title track of the song. It was her release of Take Me Higher. Right, yeah. So I believe we, we sang Take Me Higher. And um, I believe it was Only Love Can Conquer All. How wonderful. So, yeah. With the white tails concert. and the... <laughs> <laughs> I think we were in green robes at that time for that concert. So these, um, these wonderful colors. Peak concert experience going to see something. I would say Kanye West and John Legend were on tour. And they came to the Tallahassee Leon County Civic Center. And I believe it was Usher Confessions concert, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, I think Usher was the centerpiece of it. John Legend was just an opener. Hmm. So to see, you know... How the headliner at that moment, this was probably before College Dropout, around the same time when Kanye released that one, to see that Usher was the headline, but to see those two individuals who were just a part of it, to see how they really become people that we still talk about, you know, John Legend and Kanye and Usher as well. So that was that was um, that was an experience. I didn't get a chance to see John Legend. John Legend was at the Barbie Man maybe 10, 12 years ago. And I ended up with the flu, and I, I had to forfeit my tickets. And I had oh. pretty good tickets, too. Hmm. Do you go to Barber B. Man to see, the like, the symphony or musical theater and stuff like that? Not as much. Yeah? Not as much. Um, and that's something I would like to get more in contact with. So art and expression through music and lyrics has always been really a part of a core of the experience of I ha- having um, in my family. 
So recently became a member of the Alliance for the Arts Board of Directors. So just kind of broadening out and being able to see it from that standpoint and perspective and really supporting more of our local arts initiatives is definitely something that is a high priority for me. Cool. Um, karaoke? Are you a karaoke-er? No. No? No. Ne- never? Uh, maybe in college. I think there was probably one karaoke experience that would have ended up on social media if we had social media at that time. You, you were lucky. You I, was, just, I see you asked me right about in. scandals, Mike. We were able to be on the <laughs> other side of it. So get on the other side of it. You dancer? I can dance, but I'm not a dancer. You can so dance. I can dance. I have rhythm. But you're not a dancer. No. But you can dance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to ask me in a different way. He can do it. It's just not his favorite thing to yes, do. It's it. not... It's not um, but yeah, I, I can. Okay. Little known fact. Okay, okay. I remember there was um, a, a story. We were <laughs> going to tell this story. <laughs> but we had gone out, I think it was after graduation, and we were dancing, and one of the friends of ours had gone out at one of the local clubs at the time. I think it might have been oh, somewhere on Tennessee Street, if you're familiar with Tallahassee. And the person I was dancing with, she said, wait, aren't you the student body president? <laughs> so uh, I'm like, yeah. She's like, you were just at graduation this morning. So yeah, but I I, I do, but I don't. Mr. President can cut a rug. <laughs> uh, okay, it's time for your time for your third song. Okay. Um, you know, history has always been a major part of me and my story. I started a time capsule probably in fourth grade. Hmm. And in that time capsule, I remember the first major story that I found some level of interest and connection to was the unfortunate murder of Dr. James Adams, who at the time was the superintendent of schools. I believe that happened in my seventh grade, maybe eighth grade year. Mm-hmm. So I remember collecting all of the, um, the articles. I remember at the time Sheriff McDougal was a sheriff. He interrupted the whatever broadcast that was happening, and there was this press conference about what had gone on to the superintendent at that moment. So that really started my not just understanding and appreciating history, but trying to find a way to document pivotal pivotal moments that really resonated with me and I felt would resonate with society from my own personal museum here. So that started it. Um, You know, I went to college on a partial African-American history scholarship. There was something called the Black History Cultural and Brain Bowl team. So with Brain Bowl, we were able to actually win the state championship. I forget the teams that we beat. So through that, we received a scholarship, and that required us to just to know African-American history, trivia through books and conversation, and that really became a, a part of my early upbringing from ninth grade all the way through. So I came back to Fort Myers, and I started teaching at that time at what was then known as Michigan International Academy. And the majority of my students were students of color, and of that black and brown children, but mostly black kids who I had, who I love my kids dearly. And the potential that I saw in them, and it's great now when I can see them out there, adults. And so having those those connections with them has really been a great joy. But the election of President Obama in 2008 was a real interesting moment for them because I always espouse to the concept of representation matters. You know, we live in a very aspirational society, but I need to be able to tangibly see something and find a direct connection if I want to aspire toward it. So to see through the lens of my seventh, eighth grade students, the concept of from an individual being a candidate who had never um, had an opportunity to win a major primaries, a, a major political party's primary system. So to have him go from that 
to ultimately winning the election, I felt it was incumbent upon me, not just for me as a black man in that time, understanding this moment in history, but also to have this documented for my students and all of my students, because all of my students were very interested. We had the mock election, but I knew what the representation would have meant for my uh, students of color at the time, my black and brown kids who were in the classroom. So taking that trip to inauguration, I did get opportunity to go to the inauguration. We were in, in the not anywhere up close, but we definitely were pretty a decent moment, you know, three o'clock in the morning showing up to get down to the mall area. So I had this little um, digital camera before your camera, your phones could actually take yeah. pretty good footage recording what was happening. And so I came back and I wanted to make sure that they were able to be there to see what I saw from the perspective. And so very similar to what you did, setting it to So Fresh, So Clean, I set it to music. <laughs> and one of the song choices was uh, my last song, People Get Ready. And it really goes back to my old soul of being connected to music from a generation prior to, from the 1960s and folks like Curtis Mayfield, and having that there's always should be some level of a message in the music. And things like that are timeless. So... Although the song, I believe, was in 1964, 1965, of course, several generations before me and looking at from numbers. But at that moment, there were three songs that I used. Uh, one was John Mayer, Waiting on the World to Change. The second one was uh, Curtis Mayfield, Move on Up. And then the other one was People Get Ready. And that was the song that I set to music uh, as the president at the time went from president-elect to actually taking the oath of office, and that was part of the soundtrack. So whenever I hear that, it instantly takes me back to 2009. Wow. Well, let's listen to it. Um, People Get Ready by the Impressions from the 1965 album of the same name. That the sense of hope and optimism always rests in the hearts of those who want to do better. And that requires you not to look and see things how they currently are, but to say that we can always strive to improve. And when I hear that song, I think back, and of course, you know, this election, the 2020 election was definitely um, another historic opportunity, but it's the representation. It, it, representation matters, you know, for the, the millions of young women who now can look in the space of our vice president-elect, who will be the vice president after the inauguration, of knowing that I can now look through historical context and books and see, okay, someone who I can identify with based on some of these ways where we like to sort people from gender, from orientation, from race. There's someone that I which I can have some connection and say it is possible. Not saying that the road is always going to be easy, but it is possible. So when we lose our ability to hope and when we lose our ability to have concepts of I can dream that I might not like how things are. But there are opportunities for me to try to build a different world or for me to build something different, because really those are the values. You know, our Constitution and all those documents, they're wonderful words, but they're words. It requires the people to have a commitment for the consent of the governed. It requires the people to have a consent and have a, con a connection to how are we going to make things better. And that requires you to feel like you have a place and a space. So in that moment, in the eyes of my students, they could say that it is something that's possible for me, that looking at, you know, the history of our nation and, and say, OK, yeah, that was possible for former President Obama. That is something I can aspire toward. And so now we have that same level of a, a transcending moment in history 
to have that in the legacy of Geraldine Ferrara and the legacy of Shirley Chisholm and the legacy of all those folks who have come before, now we have an opportunity for another segment of our country to say, I too can be America. I too can see myself in that place. Um, do you think there's any music, and you too can chime in too, is there any music being made today that falls into that sort of social positive awareness about social issues being made currently? I don't, um, I don't know of any. Well, I mean, you have, I can think of, in the midst of really understanding as we relate it to issues of social justice and identity and pride, like Sue Me, I think it's Wale, the song that came out, Sue yeah. Me. So that, for me, that really sticks out as something that, it is our version of James Brown when he said, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. So that is that kind of connection. But even in this moment, you know, sometimes it's important to go back to things that might not be a part of our current timeline and story. History doesn't always repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. So a lot of the things that we experience now are a part of rhyming patterns where we were as a society, maybe in the 60s and maybe in the 70s. You can go back and listen to those songs and see can still resonate and have a connection because it's about the human condition. Uh, the very first song in the very first sh- show that we did with Bob Grissinger, who owned Bennett's or okay. owns Bennett's, was uh, "What's Going On," uh-huh. and you know that was three years ago when we recorded that. Mm-hmm. And even at that time, it was sort of chilling to think about it through now. Right. Right. And now it's you know it's been three years, right. so you're definitely on that. And it goes back to um, it's a really interesting documentary I saw not too long ago. It was with Smokey Robinson and Barry Gordy of Motown. And they really broke apart how the genius of Marvin Gaye to compose that and put it together. And if I recall it correctly, uh, Mr. Gordy talked about would there have been a level of reluctance because it was definitely a political statement to be made at the time. And many people didn't see Motown in the position of making statements through the music. But Marvin Gaye was insistent upon making sure that this was a statement. So to hear the levels and layers And all that's classic him. So how he layered his voice on top of his voice, on top of his voice, and basically was a one-man show of putting all that together. And I think that's why it definitely resonates. The art and form of true music is it could be timeless. You know, I can listen to that now, and if it really is done from a level of the heart, apply it to any level of social movement, any level of concept, because it has some connection to you. And that's why music has the ability to unite, because it tells a story. Is there any kind of music you'll avoid or a particular song you'll avoid because of uh, the memory it associates? I can't say. Um, so growing up in the household with a music teacher, her concept was if I take, and take some spoons and beat them on the table, that's music. And that's my interpretation of music. So I was able to get a level of appreciation for you know, all sorts of music and understand music for the sake of it, not just specifically tied to a genre of which we have some interest. On the way over here, I was listening to Paul Simon and Kodachrome. So, you know, that was something that it took me back to era and time and history. And I was trying to be, you know, thinking, OK, I got to get out here to FGCU, WGCU to record. That was that moment. So in some moments, it might be... Um, you know, Freebird and Leonard Skinner. So I've, I've had an appreciation all across, not just for my go-to, you know, not just for the go-to of what I'm connected to, but also just having an appreciation across spectrums. 
If you could broadcast a song into the head of into the minds of every human at once, which would you choose? Reach out and touch. And it was Diana Ross when she started her transition to a solo career. And here's why. Because it's a very lighthearted tune that Miss Ross put together and been able to provide that level of reach out and touching. But it goes back to um, I was a keynote speaker at the Dr. Martin Luther King Unity Breakfast a couple of years ago, sponsored by my fraternity, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. And in that um, it was about, I think the theme was we must all learn how to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. And leading up to that, I remember watching the movie Crash. You know, I believe it won the Academy. I can't remember now. But the premise of it, I love those interconnected stories where you don't realize how the one character is connected to the other until the end of it. What I took from that movie, sometimes we have to literally crash into each other for us to see each other. And at the end of that speech for Dr. Martin Luther King's uh, Unity Breakfast, I said, okay, so we're going to do a social experiment and I want everybody to stand up and I want you to go around the room and talk to someone you've never had a conversation with before and all I want you to do is say, I see you. That's it. And so it was a very multicultural room. A lot of uh, dignitaries across Southwest Florida were all there that morning under the banner of Dr. King's message. But how do we go from form and fashion to realism and implication and implementation. Here, what we're doing, we're saying unity, but how do you have an opportunity to really have that mood together? So I thought it'd be a good idea to take Reach Out and Touch and play it in the background as everybody was participating in the social experiment. And through that, I still have the video. I mean, these videos, these videos. Yeah, I know, you're quite, tempting us. <laughs> but I got an opportunity to see the temperature in the room change. Mm. And it's the emotional temperature. If there were a gradient in available for emotional IQ of a collective, it's like Captain Planet. If we kind of put it all together, yes. what do we have? I could tell that there was a level of energy in that room just by saying, I see you. I'm going to look you in the eye and say, I see you. So I think that soundtrack is sometimes you have to reach out and touch somebody's hand and to make the world a better place. So that goes back to me being aspirational. Sounds That's like the a, way to do it. Sounds like Robert Greene. Uh, the, um, the, 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 the information yeah, booth guy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. He, he he's talk- always that way. Very well, yeah, pleasant. He, he talks about, uh, we had him on the show. Okay. Actually, he's the, his is the most popular episode ever. Um, he, he said that, um, he thinks that just the goal in the world to, to fix acrimony between people is to simply l- say hello right. and look at somebody and actually right. say right. like, hi. Right. And not just kind of brush right. past other people like they're not in our world. Well, and you, you're giving people that opportunity that we maybe rarely give one another, mm-hmm. which is to put the devices down, the right. things down, right. and to actually not just go hi, but mm-hmm. look me in the eyes right. and tell you, tell me that you see me. I mean, that's a very deep moment. And and see you for for what we've allowed to put on display. And so I think as we talk about issues that may plague us, having mindfulness. And mindfulness transitioning into a level of empathy. How do I do that? How can I find a way to place myself in your position and understand what life might be like for you? But that requires me to see you. And me seeing you says that I denote the fact that you exist and that your story exists. And we are all as some collection of our past experiences. So that would be the song. Sometimes you just have to reach out and touch. 
if you could learn any instrument instantly besides the piano, oh, because, because it's too late for that. I was going to play with two hands. It's too late for that. What would it be? It will probably be the bass guitar. Mm. Oh, yeah? Uh, I, there's like nothing a, like, like a, a five or six string bass? Like yeah, this? there's nothing yeah. like a moving bass line. So I can think of the theme song to Sanford and Sons. Oh, yeah. Done by Quincy mm-hmm. Jones. Wah, wah, don't, 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 don't. That's great. I can think of the moving bass line from Solange, Cranes in the Sky. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. So those things always move me. So if I could play anything... Outside of the piano, because one of these days I'm going to be able to do it with both hands. I'm going to sit at the piano and read the music, not just you the chord. You have to spend time trying. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, Magic uh, only exists in this room. Hey, but you never know. I can find an app. I'm sure there's an app for that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm sure there is. Um, YouTube. Uh, what song do you think you've listened to the most times in your life? Um, I would say... Probably Richard Smallwood, um, Total Praise. And that really was a song that gave me a level of centering as an undergraduate. And it just was a I, I love harmonies and I love the opportunity to hear the intersections of chords and music and modulation. That's just really been something for me. So I think the fullness of Richard Smallwood's Total Praise has been some Total Praise has been something that always has been a part of me in my young adulthood and now the adult stage of life of where I am now. So definitely that one. Um, what would be the most overplayed song of all time, in your opinion? Mm. I love the message, and this is going to seem counter to what I was saying about seeing each other, but I think we kind of ran out for real and happy. Mm. You know, that was played for a while because it got to be very commercial at that moment. So I don't want to, I enjoyed it, but it was just everywhere. You know, we everybody had their version of it. But to the good side of it, it did bring a level of joy so i won't say overplayed i would say was very much saturated Mm -hmm. uh, across the airwaves and across uh, modes and mediums because anything's music but it's just something i I, mean it was was in movies right it was all over it became like a walking down the street connotations too yeah but we need those reminders so you know the more we have that so not not anything against the artist and his artistry but definitely something i heard a lot i'll put it like that what would your 14 year old self think of you today well, we already asked him about yeah. his nine-year-old oh, self. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 About his ten, nine, ten-year-old oh, self. Nine and ten-year-old self. Oh, sorry, I missed that. Well, he wants to know about the Fort Knox. <laughs> no, no, probably fine. the same thing. Do you probably remember the, the difference of between being a nine-year-old and a fourteen-year-old? Don't no, you have to answer that question? Uh, That's a really hard question. It all kind of it runs in together. Yeah, absolutely. It, it does run in together. Um, I think that fourteen-year-old me definitely would appreciate that. A lot of the things and foundations that he established at 14 remained a part of my core. Ooh, like what? So I would say 14-year-old me, the first guy around starting that time capsule. Yeah, so around ask, that where 13, did that time 14, capsule go? Is it still? Thank you for it's still, ge- geocaching people hunting for it. <laughs> right. It's, uh, it's <laughs> going to be that. my escape room. Uh, <laughs> so it ended up with my aunt. And my aunt that I mentioned earlier that we lost in October of this year. But we lost some items in it after Hurricane Irma. So she lives along Billy's Creek. And so part of the creek ended up in her house, unfortunately. And we lost some parts of it. But uh, to 14-year-old me, he would have said, okay, you had an interest, but you didn't let it go. So I laid the foundation for you as 14-year-old you to tell you to start collecting these things. And then 30-year-old you picked it up, you know, being a part with the Lee County Black History Society and the Black History Museum here in the city of Fort Myers, 
That's basically 14-year-old me getting a chance to play in my 20s. Because that's literally what we do. We categorize and we archive and, and have an opportunity to put to get, uh, exhibits together. So that a part of me then would appreciate the cultivation of who I am now because I stayed true to an interest level and said, okay, this is what I like to do and I'm going to find ways to continue to do it outside of the little box that I had. I had some good stuff in there. Um, you know, there were a lot of things that happened while I was in college and I was the 9-11 generation. I was a sophomore in college when that happened. So there were always lots of stories. Our local news media always did a great job of finding local connections within the news press and all sorts of journalism to Fort Myers stories. So you had CeCe Lyles, who was a flight attendant uh, in the unfortunate situations of 9-11. So all those things, I was able to kind of keep those. And it made an amateur documentarian of my aunt because when there were things that would pop up in the paper, she called me and said, okay, I saw this in the paper and I saved it for you. So mm-hmm. when I was on, in college and she said, when you come home from break, you can see what I have. So um, she definitely had an opportunity to, um, you know, have that connection. And she continued it for me. Okay. Of your three songs, you're going to have to put them into one of these. Each one has to be one of these categories. Okay. First one, you're going to ensure that it's going to be listened to forever. Okay. Second one, you're removing from existence retroactively. Uh, and the third one becomes music for you henceforth. Say the last one again. You're, it's the only song you're allowed to Every listen to. Every time you the listen to song? Any, anything, you turn on a radio, it's that song. You put on your headphones, it's that song. You go on Spotify, it's that song. Oh, it's like Orwell. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let's see. The song that we would have to remove from ever being played again, I would say So Fresh, So Clean. Okay. And simply because the discography of Outkast, you know, they have a, a great catalog outside of just that one song, and especially more songs that are more impactful message development. So I would say that one, the song that I hear all the time would probably be, be People Get Ready, mm. because there's a level of encouragement in it and from there. And then the one I have to broadcast to the world would be Think Big. Okay. Because it gives you an opportunity, whether you are a young person like I was at eight or nine or an older person, we all have the capacity to think about potential and confidence leading to success. All right. Time to recommend three people. Okay. Now, this one I don't let's see. Um, I'm going to recommend Adam Malloy. So Adam Malloy is uh, he works for the Lee County School District in community engagement. He's a connoisseur of music. And I think his, he's we're in the similar generation, so I think you really appreciate that. I'm going to also recommend Dr. Amy Desimore. So she is a avid NPR listener, and I think if her schedule allows and she's interested, I think she'd appreciate this. And then the last one, I know that things are very different now when it um, relates to social distancing and where we are now with our country um, with the pandemic. But I would love to see my mother, the music teacher of 35 years who um, really probably has a lot of connections with stories and music that take her back to a specific place in time. But uh, Rose Edie Govan, I wonder if she would do it. So those are my three. Well, you got to encourage her. I would yeah. love that. So I think uh, we she, would love that. She's yeah. a, she's definitely a child of the 60s. And I'm sure if you're hearing this, you can't just pick our favorite gospel songs. So this is my, <laughs> this is my note for her. We know the songs are there that you like. Uh, so I think that it would be interesting to hear her perspective and how it's tied to stories. Okay. Well, that is the end of the road. We appreciate your time. Do you have any final thoughts? I don't. I think that thank you all for having this experience. 
And it really illustrates how we all have a story. And there is one opportunity for common connection through stories. We shared a moment because of one story that I picked that was not a listing of my favorite songs, but songs that tie back to a memory. So the more engagement that we have and the more opportunities we have to reach out and touch and see each other without having to literally crash into each other, Hmm. I think that's how you start interpersonal relationships and getting to know someone else. So the power and impact of this show uh, is, is, is really important. So thank you for the invitation. Shout outs to Siobhan Chester for uh, the, the recommendation. Thank you for those kind words, and that's all you needed to say to be s- let let free from our escape room. Is that room. the escape yeah, room? Yeah, yeah I, the door's going to pop hour? open now. You win. I said escape room because we, we have the timer right here. So <laughs> yeah, it's and we're going like to take a selfie room. after and everything. Because it works. So, yeah. You have a sign to say I made it out? <laughs> thank you, Jarrett, so much. Okay, thank you all. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is online content producer and periodic host. Christoph is his executive producer. Our theme song was made by Dave, Dave, Dave Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. This week's parting tune, we're jumping back one year to episode 99 with Jesse and Joe Latchett from Graveyard Shift Screen Printing. It was one of our two guest shows. Their third song, the one they had to choose that represented a song story for both of them together, was about the time when they were first dating and had broken up for a while because Joe, as he admitted, was young and stupid. This is I Want to Grow Old with You by Adam Sandler from the movie The Wedding Singer, which, by the way, is the song they danced to at their wedding. One time I was like, all right, I'm calling after, you know, a month of torture and she wouldn't take my calls. And I was, I was like, I'm calling and I'm going to, you know, talk to her. And uh, she was watching this movie. I had this whole idea of, you know, love and like, you know, you're perfect someone yeah, like and in the marriage and exactly like the movie. So I was way into romantic comedies, which I still am. Um, and yeah, Adam Sandler was always a big one for me, uh, you know, especially this particular movie. Um, and which movie was this? The Wedding Singer. Uh-huh. I had that exact idea of love, and I really thought that that was the way it was until like I went through a couple really bad relationships before meeting Joe. So then when I did meet Joe, and I really thought, oh, this is different, this is really it. But then we broke up, and he was a big dummy, like he said. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, fast forward years later, I now, it means so much more to me now because I know that life isn't like that, you know? And I can respect that. I love that. I love how our life is, and I love all of those ups and downs that we've had. Um, And we wouldn't be where we are if we didn't have, you know, those times. So We wouldn't have Wilson either. We would not. (laughs) Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. As a city, it just made sense. And I was obsessed with Miami Vice as a kid. <laughs> Another <laughs> And obsession. then you were there. Michael My- Michael Mann, like, I, I love the soundtrack. So it was like, all right, yeah. And then I was there, exactly. So Get yourself some aviators. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it just, it just, and I did dress up as tubs for Halloween once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>